Don't you hate it when you get a stain on your clothes? That happened to be a talking stain. You didn't know your stains talked, did you? Huh? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I know, it's a funny video. Maybe you didn't laugh too hard, but when I first saw it, I laughed pretty hard. you got to have one of those sense of humors. Well, good morning. If you are new here or you're new online, I am Tony uh, Baker, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we're continuing our series uh, this Lent season called Rock Solid, God's Immovable Love for Us. We've been looking at covenants and uh, uh, covenants with Noah, covenants with uh, Moses, covenants with David. I mean, we've been looking at the covenants and God's unfailing love for us, His immovable love for us. And today isn't much different. Um, We're going to look at something that truly can transform your life. But let me just really start by saying I hate it when I get a stain on my shirt. I really do. My wife hates it too. So I'm bad about this. I I do my laundry. I'm not saying my wife does my laundry. That's not what I'm saying. Um, She does my laundry too, but that's because she loves me, not because I expect it. All right. Um, So my wife loves to yell at me on my way out the door to go work outside or in the garage or on a car or lawnmower, mow the grass. And she loves to say, are you wearing good clothes? She loves to say that to me. And, and inevitably, she knows me. I'm too lazy to go in. I, I'm, I shouldn't say lazy. I just want to get to work. And I don't have time to go in and change my clothes. And anyways, I'm not going to get anything on it, right? You ever said that? Yeah, this last couple of weeks, uh, they were finishing up the stage. My dad and I actually came in to do a little painting on these stairs over here. And it's funny, you should have seen the two of us. We came in one day after we were working, and we had our work clothes on, nice clothes on. And you should have seen us trying to carry paintbrushes and stuff. We didn't want to get stains. Some things just don't come out, right? And paint is a tough one to get out of your clothes. And so we, um, you know... We're very careful not to get stains. What do you do when you do get a stain on your shirt, though? You use a little thing called shout out, right? Shout it out or whatever. I have a really, really funny story to tell about my oldest daughter. Um, we, she, this is a few years ago, like last week. Um, and we were, no, I'm serious. It was a few years ago when she wasn't as smart as she is today. But uh, where's she at? She's somewhere. Hi, Madison. That's the one not getting married. Yeah, right? I can only handle one wedding at a time. Um, so here's, here's what happened. We, my wife and I are in the other room, and my daughter's doing her clothes. And all of a sudden, we hear Madison in the laundry room yelling, Mom! Yeah? Where's the yell it out? And me and my wife looked at each other, and we started cracking up. She had heard shout out, right, the stuff you put on your... But she couldn't think of the words, so she said, yell it out. But we understood her, and uh, we love her, don't we, everybody? Say, yes, we love you, Madison. (laughs) So I think that life, and and this is just an analogy that I think life is sort of like clothes. I think it's like clothes that we wear. The decisions we make... The, the past, the, the present, the future, the decisions that we make, it's like putting on a piece of clothing because they kind of define us. They kind of make up our life. And I'm not the only one to think that. The uh, biblical writers also 
would use clothing or garments as a description of a person's character, of a person's nature, of something about that person. Uh, And so in Psalm 104, I found this one. Praise the Lord, my soul, Lord, my God, you are very great. So here's one where the psalmist is using a piece of clothing to describe God's character. He says, you are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. So the psalmist sees garments or clothing as something we put on. Kind of like our character, something that we, our nature in what we do. Another one is in 109. This is more about a wicked person that the psalmist is writing about. He says, For he never thought of doing kindness, but hounded the, to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. May it come to him. He found no pleasure and blessing. May it be far from him. Now listen to what he says. He wore cursing as a garment. It entered into the body like water, into the bones like oil. So the biblical writers would often see clothing as kind of a description of our lives. Garments represented the character of the person. The things we do or don't do. It's like putting garments on, clean or dirty. But here's something that I know about every one of us. And the reason I know this about every one of us is because it's true about me. And if it's true about me, it must be true about you too, right? No, as my years uh, in pastoring and dealing with people, this is something that I've observed and been true. All of us have something in our past that we wish we could undo. Like a stain on a shirt. A stain on your garments that you wear around every day. All of us have something in our past that we wish we could just go back and undo. Anyone here agree? Anyone here have something in their past that they wish that they could go back and undo? Come on, raise your hand. Now look around. Those who aren't are liars. No, those of you guests, just put up with my humor. I'm not really calling people liars. All of us have said or done or thought things that we regret. That we find, um, as we look back, we find shame and guilt and regret and we wish we could go back and undo. You remember, you know, something you did when you were younger and you didn't know better. And and so that's what you kind of justify. You say, well, I was younger. Or that time in your past where you were like, you drink a lot more than you should, and you did something that you really regret, right? Um, or how about that time when you were so angry, you said that thing to the person you love, and you wish you could undo it. And ever since then, it's been kind of this rift between you and them. You wish you could go back. Or that time that you were really lonely. We all have things in our past that we wish we could go back and undo. All of us have stains on our garments that we wear around called life. We all have things that we wish we could undo. This brings us to really a great question for the day. 
one that I'm going to attempt to answer for you, one that I hope you find comfort in, one that I hope that as you this unfolds for you, this idea of undoing the things of the past. But here's a question that I want to first tackle right away. How do you undo the past? I mean, it's not like we don't try, right? Many of us look back at our past in regret and guilt and shame, and sometimes we try to justify it. And so we try to make the past correct by justifying what we did. Pastor, you just don't understand the home life I came from. I sympathize and empathize with you in that. But let's remember, we all have a choice. Pastor, you don't understand, she made me do it. You don't understand the pressure I was under. You don't understand the stress that I was under. You don't understand, and so we try to justify the past. We try to make ourselves feel better. We all do this. I do this. You do this. We try to correct the past by simply justifying it. Sometimes we try to correct the past by hiding it. We think we can stuff it down where nobody can know. And we try to forget about it. And we move on with life, right? We stuff it so far down that sometimes we don't even remember it's there until we do. And it comes back and gets us. Sometimes we try to hide it by moving away from the place that we did what we did. Or we change partners or get divorced or split up or we, whatever it is, we try to hide it by changing our present. We move away. We go places. We get new friends. We get new churches. We get new communities that we live in. Sometimes we don't try to justify it. We don't try to hide it. Sometimes we just ignore it. I mean, we own it. We say, yeah, I did that, but... It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me, and it didn't affect anyone else. We admit to ourselves that we have this stain on our life, but, we're con- but we convince ourselves that it isn't hurting anyone. And if it's not hurting anyone, then what's the problem? We might even apologize, but that doesn't make the stain go away, does it? We try to justify it. We try to hide it. We try to ignore it. And sometimes we get religious and we simply try to overcome it. We try to battle it out. We try to overcome that past, overcome that decision, overcome that stain. We try to cover it up so, yeah, you can tell there's something there, but it's not what you think. We try to overcome it. And we spend a lot of money trying to overcome some of the things that we've done in our life. Self-help, counseling. We get real disciplined and religious. But I have a confession for you this morning. Something that that I have found to be true in my life when it comes to my past and the things that I've done that leave stains on my life. I don't know of anything that I can do to undo what I did do in the past. I don't know what that is. I don't have that secret bullet for you this morning. 
I don't know of anything that can overcome what I did in the past because I did it. It's there. I remember it. It haunts me sometimes. It comes to my memory. It, it's in my dreams. It's in my thoughts. Or uh, maybe it's a smell or a, a situation in a, in, a, in a restaurant or with a person, and that thought comes to my mind, and something comes back from my past. But I, all of my years, I've not found anything that helps me overcome that. And I've just simply come to grips with this truth. I cannot change my past. boy, pastor, I came here for some hope. <laughs> boy, pastor, I came here for, to kind of help feel better about the things in my life. You know, I did some things this week that have stained my life. And I'm feeling the regret and the guilt and the shame. And I've come this morning because I want to hear that there's something that I can do. I want a hoop to jump through. And I'm here to tell you there isn't one. You cannot overcome your past. Because, and here's why, some things are bigger than mistakes. Some things are just simply sin. And the stain of sin is impossible to remove. And I'm going to explain that. Sometimes we look at the things of our past as mistakes. I made a mistake. I didn't have enough information. I didn't have enough knowledge. I didn't know you felt that way. I didn't know this was wrong. And so we look at the things in our life that bring stain, guilt, shame, and we say, well, that was just a mistake. But if it was a mistake, listen to me, if it was a mistake, you can correct the mistake. I can get more information I can grow up. I can mature. I can learn a little bit more. I can go to the person and apologize and say, I didn't know. I simply made a mistake. I can correct a, state, a mistake. But I can't correct sin on my own. That's why the stain of sin cannot be removed simply by doing something. Mistakes are corrected. Mistakes can be overcome, but sin cannot. Sin cannot be overcome. Sin must be forgiven. Sin is this transgression, this transgression against the, the God of the universe that created us and gave us a way to live. He wants us to love Him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. God wants us to recognize Him as the supreme being above all beings, the creator of all things. God wants all of our hearts to acknowledge Him and to love Him with our life. And we don't. We haven't. That is a sin. God wants us to love one another. Just like we love God, He wants us to love one another unconditionally. He wants us to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to love and embrace and belong to each other in community. It doesn't mean we won't have conflict, but He wants us to love one another. And we haven't. There are moments in our life when we break the law 
that God has given us to love Him and love each other. And that is sin. And that stain cannot be removed by simply overcoming it. Sin must be forgiven. Sin, unlike a mistake, brings a verdict, a condemnation. Because we broke a law, the law demands justice. And when I sin, when there's sin in my life, when I, my life is turned toward away from God, away from each other, and when life is just simply about what I can get out of it, I'm living in sin, that is breaking the law. And breaking the law demands a verdict. And God says and demands life. Your life is the sentence for sin. My life is the sentence for sin. When you break the law of God, it demands punishment. King David knew this all too well. (laughs) And King David lays it out for us in Psalm 51. Let me give you a little background. You've heard of the story of Bathsheba and David. David and Bathsheba. King David was the most successful, the greatest king of Israel King David was the richest. I mean, King David was the, the epitome of what a king ought to be. He was said that about him that he was a man after God's own heart. And God blessed David. And God gave David everything that his heart's desire. And David was blessed beyond measure. But one night, David was out on his porch patio and he saw a woman bathing. And he could have done a couple of things in that moment. He could have just turned around and walked back into his palace that the Lord had given him. But he decided to lust after the woman. He planned how he could be with the woman. And it eventually came about that he took this woman, even though she had a husband. You see, sin doesn't just affect me. It affects other people around me. When I sin against you, I'm also sinning against someone else in their life. And so David sinned against her husband, against God, against his kingdom. I mean, David did something that was just bad. And he committed adultery. And the way the story goes is that Bathsheba became pregnant. Now David has to live with the consequences. But you know what David did? He tried to hide it. He tried to justify it. He tried to overcome it. You know how he hid it and tried to overcome it? He decided, I'm going to have Uzziah, her husband, come back. You know where her husband was? Off fighting wars for his king. And David's doing this with his wife. And so he decides, I'm going to call for Uzziah to come back, and he will go in and be with his wife, and it'll be done. They'll know. She was the one. He was the one that came back, and that's when the baby was conceived, and everything will be hidden, and everything will be good. Zion comes back. You know what this guy does? He feels bad that his other soldiers are out fighting and not at home, and he says, I refuse to go in and eat and be with my wife and be in my home when my brothers are out fighting for the king. I'm going to do what's best for you, king. And David's like... 
He can't hide it that way. He can't overcome it. So I know what I'll do. I'm going to have him killed. And so he goes, calls his general. He says, I want you to take Uzziah, and I want you to take him. I want you to put him in the fiercest front-line battle. But he'll surely die. I know. And that's what happened. Oh, the webs that we weave. The messes we make of our lives and other lives by the decisions and the sin of our life. And so David's sin became very real until the prophet Nathan comes to him and he tells him a story about a very wealthy farmer who had many, many, many sheep, fields full of sheep. But then there was another little farmer who only had a few. He only had, actually, he only had one little sheep. And he says this farmer was so, um, sinned so badly against this little farmer, he came and he took the one sheep, even though he had more sheep than he knew what to do with, he took the one sheep and he killed the man and took it. And David was furious. He's like, bring this man to me. I will have his head cut off. I don't know if that's exactly what he said. And Nathan looks at him and he points his finger and says, you're the man, David. You're the man. It's amazing when you come face to face with the sin that you've committed. When you realize that some of the things in your past are bigger than mistakes. That the wrecked marriages and the wrecked relationships and the way your life has gone, it's not because of a lack of information or simply you just made bad decisions. It's simply because it's, it's because sin wrecks our lives. And David's life was a wreck, but he recognized it, and he did the right thing. He repented. Here's what he did. I'm going to start in Psalm 51, but I want to start in verse 3. David saying this, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David speaks out and he recognizes that he has sinned. He recognizes what is going on. He says in here, my sin. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom. David knows what he did was more than just a mistake. My transgressions, my sin, I sinned, I've done evil. David feels the weight of his sin. He also feels the condemnation of the verdict. The verdict was, David, you're guilty and you must be punished. Mistakes make me human. But sin makes me guilty. And you can't remove guilt. You can't do it. I've tried. You've tried. You can't wipe it clean by simply forgetting about it or justifying it or over trying to overcome it or hide it. It's still there. I can fix a mistake, but I can't fix guilty. Because guilty means there's a 
verdict and a punishment that must happen. I'm sorry doesn't get it. I'll try harder won't take away the guilt. David knows that he cannot remove the stain of his sin. So he turns to the one that can. Back to verse 1. He starts the verse out like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Listen to this. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. David, this sinful, broken man, acknowledges that he is a sinner and he appeals to God's better nature. He turns to the God who is merciful. He remembers the covenant that God made, this unfailing love that no matter what, God's going to love me. He pleads with God to have mercy. He pleads to remember his unfailing love. And he says, your great compassion, please pour out upon me. This is a man with a contrite spirit. This is a person who acknowledges that he cannot remove what he has done. He is guilty, and only God, the judge, can fix that. David wants God to blot out my transgressions. He wants God to wash away my iniquity, to cleanse me. Listen, the reason we cannot change our past is because sin cannot be justified, it cannot be hidden, it cannot be ignored or even removed. Those things will not remove the guilt of my life. Sin must be blotted out. Like a stain on a shirt. So this gets us into the Christian doctrine of atonement. Say atonement, that's a big word. You don't hear that word a lot. But I want to kind of just quickly explain what atonement is. It literally means at one meant. Now, when the translators were trying to translate this concept of blotting out, of overcoming, washing away my sin, when they tried to find a word, theological word, that, that expressed that and explained that, they came up with the word atonement. The Old Testament teaches us that sin results in consequences. The things that we do have consequences. The Old Testament also teaches us that sin is the intentional or the unintentional breaking of God's law. The Old Testament also teaches us that sin separates us from God. It is the thing that keeps us out of relationship with each other and Him. Relationships are broken when sin rules our lives. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. The Old Testament teaches us this, that God cannot be in a relationship with sin. So God makes a way. God, out of His own love, His own compassion, His own mercy... He makes a way for us to be in relationship. So the question around atonement is really this. What needs to happen for us to be at one with God? 
What needs to happen in my life? We know that God revealed to the Hebrews that sin needed to be covered or blotted out. Think about blotting. When you get a stain on something, you take another product and you cover it up and then you begin to try to blot that out. And you hope that the covering will remove the stain. Think about that. In the Old Testament, the most literal meaning of the word atonement is to cover up. What needs to happen is our sin must be covered up and blotted out like a stain on a shirt. So how do you cover up sin? How do you cover over sin? Something else was revealed in the Hebrew people's experience with God. That the only sufficient covering of sin is this, blood. I know, today that seems weird. It seems, how do you get your mind around? You mean to tell me you need blood to blot out sin? Why? What is it about blood that does that? Listen, blood represents life. The blood of the animal is the life of the animal. The blood of a human is the life of the human. It's as though God says, a life for a life. The only thing that can blot out death is life. The blood is covered over your sin and God begins to blot out. The thing in you that's dead, life, makes you alive. Jesus became that for us. The lifeblood covers over the death that comes through sin. And so the priests in the Hebrew tradition would walk around and they would sprinkle blood all over the temple. The most significant expression of this ritual, though, happened on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, it was happened in the fall and the harvest when they would celebrate all that had happened that year and the harvest, the plenty, they would celebrate God for his provision. But there was also weeping on the Day of Atonement. There was celebration and weeping. What was the weeping for? For the Hebrew people, the weeping was for their unintentional sins of the year past. And so on the Day of Atonement, they would go to the temple and take a, a lamb or some animal that was in, in their law allowed, and they would go into the temple, and the high priest would take the blood into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. It was in their temple that they had a large curtain that separated where people could be and where God was. And the only person to go into the presence of God was the high priest once a year. As a matter of fact, it was so dangerous they would tie a rope around his ankle. And he would go in there, and in that room, the Holy of Holies, was an ark, a box. And inside that box was the tablets that God had given Moses, the covenant, the law. And on top of that box was a covering. And the priest, the high priest, will walk in and he'll sprinkle blood over the covenant, acknowledging that this covenant that God has made for us, we cannot keep. We are sinful. We deserve death. But God keeps the covenant, and he says, no, I am providing a way. Cover 
the covering with the blood. And I'll forgive my people of their sin. And so the high priest would go in and do this once a year. Martin Luther, in the 1500s, went to translate from the Hebrew to the German this covering on top of the ark. And it became known in our interpretation in English as the mercy seat. The high priest would go in and sprinkle blood over the mercy seat that God might have mercy on his people, that God might cover their sins until something better comes along. But that life for life. And so the covering over the covenant that they could not keep is called the atoning place. But this was just a shadow of what was to come. This ritual satisfied God for a moment, but God wanted more from us. Fast forward to Jesus. Hebrews 5.5 In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are the priest, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears with the one to the one who could save him from death. And, the, and he heard, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, listen to this, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. For all. Jesus has been appointed high priest over all. Get this. The high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to blot out our sin. Jesus. Jesus comes in and he takes his broken mutilated, bloody body. And he sits in the mercy seat. No longer requiring an animal sacrifice. No longer requiring an animal that's not perfect like he is. Because he was made perfect through his suffering, he became the source of our salvation. He became the perfect lamb of God who shed his blood for us. That blood that covers over our sins to blot out our transgressions, to blot out the things that we can't change on our own. Jesus, broken, mutilated body, there on the mercy seat, gives us forgiveness. Jesus has given us life through his own blood. So, how do you undo the past? You can't. How do you overcome the guilt and the shame and the regret of the past? You can't. You cannot change your past, but listen. But Jesus can change your future. He sits on the mercy seat and offers his body broken, 
and mutilated and bloody for us. He took the punishment that was ours. He took the guilt that was ours. And he paid the price for us. And his blood washes away every sin. That's good news. I cannot overcome my past, but Jesus can change my future. So today is laundry day. Today we bring your old, torn, stained garments, your messed up lives, my messed up life, and we come to the one who can blot out every stain. We come stained by our sin, willful or unwillful sin. We bring our stained garments to the mercy seat where Jesus sits and is ready to forgive. His life becomes my life. His life overcomes my death. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Sing it with me. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Our worship team is going to come this morning. and We're going to close with a song. Here's what I want you to do this morning. At the end of this song, we're going to pray a prayer of confession together. Together. Has Jesus blotted out the sin of your life? You can't overcome it on your own. You need him. I need him. Only he has the power to wash away every stain. Amen.